Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Hey everyone and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas and I'm the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome, friends, to the Boost Your Biology podcast. Now, I'm sure one of the reasons you guys enjoy listening to my podcast is because you want to either be better, feel better, or perform better in life. Well, today I am very excited to be introducing you to a man I highly respect and look up to. He is pioneering outstanding research and putting forward research findings in the fields of anti-aging medicine, novel supplements, how best to use supplements, anti-aging drugs, misconceptions around certain food groups, and much more. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Dr. Brad Stanfield. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks very much, Lucas. That's a heck of an introduction. So hopefully I can live up to it for your audience. Thanks very much. Uh, I'm sure you can, man. So maybe do you want to give my listeners a bit of an understanding about who you are, what you do and your mission? Sure. So I'm a medical doctor here in New Zealand. And I wanted to start this channel because I realized that there's so much potential for us to improve our health in terms of longevity. So I think people were quite despondent sort of in the 90s and early 2000s because a lot of the potential uh, things that were on the horizon, they didn't really pan out. So one of them, for example, was the antioxidant movement. Um, So I think people were, you know, sort of put this whole um, area kind of, you know, to the wayside. And I really wanted to actually show what the research is and discuss that because while, you know, a lot of the supplements out there, they probably don't really have much of a role to play. There are a few that do. So I wanted to really focus on those. So yeah, overall, my mission is just to try and get the message out there and actually focus in on what the research is actually saying. So Mm. yeah, and we've managed to get um, I think just over 30,000 subscribers on YouTube now. So it's sticking along, seems to um, be resonating with viewers. So yeah, really excited yeah. to have this chat with you as well. Uh, look, it's, it's, um, it's a privilege to have you on the show. I mean, there's a lot of, um, a lot of misconceptions around certain supplements and you do a really good job at um, breaking down what the research shows. So maybe did you want to, um, well, let's start with the theme of anti-aging supplements um, and research. So let's look at basically... What are, the, what are the main theories of aging? Yeah, so there's not going to be one pathway that we need to target for aging. We, we're going to have to hit this on multiple different fronts. So 
you know, for example, one of the big things at the moment is NAD within our cells. So NAD is the fuel for a lot of DNA en- uh, repair enzymes within our body. <clears throat> so their power is sirtuins and PARPs. So as we age, our levels of NAD go further and further down. So that's one of the targets with anti-aging at the moment. Another um, target is optimizing the AMPK pathway. And another one is autophagy. So there's a lot of different things that are going on at the moment. And when you do it in the correct way, at least from the research, we can actually extend life, which I, I, I think that's really cool. Because if we can extend the healthy years that we've got on planet Earth, um, I think we can do some amazing things because so much resource is going into educating all of us and getting us to that prime where we've got enough education experience. And if we can maximize that time, um, yeah, I find that quite inspiring that we can actually do a lot of good for this world if we can maximize those healthy years. Mm. So, yeah, that's that, in, in a nutshell, that's what we're trying to do is target a lot of those different pathways mm. to extend our healthy years. Yeah, yeah, I like that um, that principle of basically um, adding life to our years. You know, we're trying to not only are we trying to improve how long we live, but the quality of our life, which is essentially health span um, in a sense. So, yeah, it's amazing. Um, so, what about? So, I guess maybe did you want to talk about um, one supplement? And I've only I've only just started, you know, delving into the research myself, and that is spermidine. Yeah. So spermidine is actually a really interesting. Um, it, it's a really interesting supplement because a lot of we can get good levels of spermidine within our diet already. So in long-term studies where they look at people's diets and they see, okay, with a certain level of spermidine within the diet, what does that do to our longevity and to our bodies? And resoundingly, we really decrease death rates. We're decreasing cardiovascular disease. Um, and it's so we've already got long-term data about spermidine. So if we just wind back the clock and say, what actually is spermidine? So we, our cells can actually make some spermidine. But so, so usually whenever I come across that with a supplement that I'm looking at, if our body can make it ourselves, then I'm not usually that enthralled by it. But with this particular molecule, the levels within our cells, they're highly dependent on how much is actually in our diet. Mm-hmm. So we can actually boost our levels of spermidine just through our diet alone. And again, that's another reason why I'm quite excited about this molecule, because we don't necessarily need to supplement it. We just need to make sure that we're eating good foods that have got spermidine in them. Mm. Um, so for example, I've just got some notes here. So for example, in mice, it was able to suppress the age-related decline in cardiovascular function um, and increase overall longevity by about 10%. And, and that's huge, just by making sure that we're eating the right foods that have got spermidine in them. So that's just an overview of spermidine at the moment. And in terms of how it works, there's a concept called autophagy. So as we age, our cells, they, <clears throat> they've they got a lot of old components. So for example, they've got a lot of old mitochondria or the powerhouses of our cells. One of the leading theories as to why we age is that we build up these old components and we're not flushing them away and that they're, they're decreasing the overall efficiency of our cells. So if we can flush away these old components and then bring about new ones, that's one of the really exciting theories about aging. So that process is called autophagy, which literally means self-eating. Mm. So um, spermidine, it activates those autophagy pathways. So we're clearing away those old components so that we can build new ones. So that's essentially how it works. Awesome. So let's sort of, um, I guess let's sort of segue and discuss this autophagy. Um, it seems that not only can spermidine activate autophagy, but we know we now know that what sauna usage, exercise, fasting, metformin, a lot of compounds can actually stimulate autophagy. So did you want to sort of explain more of the main benefits around autophagy? Yeah, sure. So yeah, like I was mentioning before, autophagy, it literally means self-eating. Now, what seems to be apparent is that we don't want to be having these pathways going at 100% all of the time, because then we're just completely eating ourselves away. Mm. What seems to be the case is that we want to have periods where we're really activating autophagy, again, clearing away all of those old components, and then giving ourselves time to rebuild new ones. So, for example, with um, one of the ways to activate autophagy, it's not just through spermidine, but as you've mentioned, exercise and fasting. So that's why I've just completed a five-day fast. Mm. 
So I wanted to activate my autophagy pathways. And when I was fasting, I was also taking a couple of other supplements. So quercetin and fisetin, again, to activate those autophagy pathways. Mm. So I think it's really key for your listeners as well to make sure that they're not always activating those autophagy pathways. Because again, you need time for your body to build up those components again. Mm. Yeah, let's talk about, I guess, um, I'd love to hear more about your five-day fast, first of all. Um, But I like the strategic implementation of um, these two supplements, fisetin and quercetin. Do you want to explain your rationale behind that? Yeah. So there was quite a landmark trial that was published at the end of last year. And what it was doing is taking two molecules, so it's called desatinib and quercetin. So both of those molecules, they activate autophagy in slightly different ways. And what this trial was doing is trying to see for patients that have got quite bad lung scarring, um, or it's called pulmonary fibrosis, they wanted to see if by activating these autophagy pathways, could they improve the lung function? And there was quite a significant improvement by using um, quercetin and desatinib. So Because we can see from mice trials that this theory does work, that if we activate autophagy, we can get quite awesome results. This was one of the first trials to actually prove it in humans. So from that trial, it was suggesting that the best way to activate autophagy, again, is this hit and run method, where, again, we're we're destroying the old components by activating autophagy and then building them up again. So, um, yeah, it's a balance, essentially. So that's why with my fasting... I was, again, activating autophagy through the fasting pathways using um, quercetin uh, yeah, using quercetin and fisetin as well to help that process along. Mm. Do you want to talk about, so I'm sure a lot of my listeners will already know what quercetin is, but this other one, fisetin, not many people yeah. talk about this. So do you want to explain what this um, polyphenol or, or flavonoid yeah. is? Yeah. So it, it's quite similar to, so fisetin, it is quite similar to quercetin. So it, it, overall, they're both polyphenols. Mm-hmm. And it seems that they, um, all the, so there's thousands of different polyphenols. And we're just scratching the surface at the moment in terms of the research as to how best to use these polyphenols. Do we need to use all of them? Or are there specific ones that we should be using? So in, in a couple of trials, looking at which one more, more potently activates the autophagy pathways, there is some suggestion that fisetin, it actually activates these autophagy pathways more potently than quercetin. Oh. So that's why there's been a lot of hype around fisetin at the moment. The trouble with fisetin, though, and, quercetin, well, and sort of polyphenols in general, is that we do struggle to absorb them. Mm. So generally, they're fat-soluble. So when you take these molecules, if you just take them in a pill, chances are you're only going to be absorbing about 5% of it. Whereas if you mix it with a fat, so for example... Whenever I'm taking um, polyphenols, I mix it in with olive oil, and that way I can dissolve it and help with the absorption. Mm. So that that's kind of the yeah the, the big things that are going on at the moment with fisetin. Yeah, how did you go with the um with the five day fast out of curiosity? Like, did you push through the first couple of days fairly effortlessly and then drop off, or like how how'd you go? Yeah, so. Um, it was towards the end of last year that I really started to have a look at fasting and activating autophagy. So. Um, during yeah end of last year, I did two seven-day fasts because I, I wanted to, again, activate autophagy, clear away all of those old... Because I'm 29 now, so I wanted to make sure that I was clearing away all of those old components and giving myself a fresh start. So I was actually aiming for seven days this time. I didn't quite make it. I've got a newborn who's just next door, actually. And so, yeah, fasting coupled with lack of sleep isn't too good of a combination. So... Um, yeah, so I didn't quite make the, the seven days, but overall, I, so I don't practice a strict keto diet, so I'm not in ketosis generally. I do try and aim to get most of my calories from fats and pro and protein, but I don't, um, I don't aim to make sure that I'm always in ketosis. So Mm. for the first day, the fasting isn't too bad, but then you start switching over into ketosis and that switch is quite difficult to push through. Yeah. So once you've pushed through that after about the third to fourth day, those days are usually quite okay. And yeah. then it progressively just gets a bit worse in yeah. terms of hunger and things. Yeah. The important thing to know, though, I still feel very comfortable in treating patients while I'm fasting wow. because ketone bodies are actually a fantastic energy source for the brain. Mm-hmm. So it's just once you flick into ketosis, that little bit is difficult. But once you flicked into ketosis and you've got the ketones there powering your brain function, then 
you know, you, you can you can think very clearly. If anything, you can think probably a little bit more clearly. So, yeah. yeah. I'd have to agree there. Um, I, I'm similar in that regard. I, I tend to, it's funny because I actually say that I, I'm keto from 8 a.m. till 2 p.m. Yeah. And then I refeed carbohydrates back in the evening um, just to maintain that in, uh, insulin sensitivity and yeah. adaptation. Yeah. Um, it's it's good that you mentioned just going back to the autophagy that it's not something we always want to be um, yeah. stimulating and, and similar with ketosis we want to be cyclical um, with it's good that you're sort of understanding that there's we want to be tapping into these states at certain times yeah yeah that's right because it's the same principle with exercise so if you look at exercise purely from a longevity perspective. So I'm, I'm not talking about if you're trying to, you know, train for the Olympics or anything, but if you purely want to maximize longevity, it seems um, to have a U-shaped curve where if you do a little bit of exercise, that's great and you improve your longevity and then you reach a, a point where you kind of plateau and if anything, your death rate, it actually seems to increase. Mm. So th- there is that sweet spot. And again, it um, that sweet spot's around, I think, four or five times a week of exercise. So mm. your body, it does want to have these rest periods where, again, you're, you've gotten rid of all of those old components and then you're building yourself back up. And it, it, it's the same, actually, with protein intake as well. So it's all of those um, pathways that, again, when they're activated in the correct way, you can get some remarkable results. Yeah. Um, I haven't actually seen on your channel if you've done a video yet on... Um the implications of a high protein diet on longevity, but did you want to maybe explore some of the potential? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Around. Yeah. So it's one of my older videos. So if, if any of your, um, yeah, if any of your listeners actually look at my videos from previously, I think they'll be horrified at the quality um, of it just in terms of the visuals and things, but, and it's gotten a lot better. So anyway, my protein video is one of my older ones. Essentially, um, we want to make sure that we're activating mTOR, in the correct ways. So bodybuilders, they want to be activating mTOR because that's the protein muscle synthesis. Um, So they want to be activating that as much as they can to build up their muscles. There does seem to be a problem with that though. When that's done in mice, that does accelerate their aging. So it seems that if we always activate mTOR, we're accelerating our aging. So if you're exercising all of the time and you're accelerating and, and you're activating mTOR, then you are um, accelerating your aging. And that's why there does seem to be that that sweet spot. And it's the same with protein intake. So with protein intake, specifically with leucine, it's a powerful activator of mTOR. So if you're always having really high levels of um, protein intake, specifically with leucine, you're always activating mTOR. So again, you might be building up muscle and strength, but you might also be accelerating your aging process. The, the flip side of that argument is, well, what about if you just don't activate mTOR? The trouble with that is um, that's a marker of frailty because if you don't have yeah. muscle going into your older age, then that in itself um, it has been shown to uh, worsen mortality or your death rate. So mm. you want to make sure that you've got enough muscle, but not too much. Mm. Yeah, Because isn't, isn't the greatest predictor of mortality uh is it muscle mass is that like one of the greatest predictors? yeah yeah that's right it's one it's a really really strong predictor and you can tell if if you've got say a 75 year old who is is thin and is starting to struggle to walk you can see from that person that if there's you know if if they catch some sort of infection it's going to be far more difficult for their body to fight it off compared to someone who's been working out has got a little bit of weight to them Mm. um yeah so it is a strong marker of um, mortality. You need to make sure that your muscle is just right. Yeah. yeah. So since we're on the topic of um, protein, I do want to sort of stay on this topic and focus around, um, out of curiosity, have you experimented with the carnivore diet at all? So a lot of my listeners have asked me to have a look into it. Um, I haven't specifically looked at the carnivore diet. I've looked at um, I've done quite detailed videos on fruit and vegetables and fiber um, and, you know, things like spermidine and whatnot. So while I haven't directly looked at the carnivore diet, um, from from my other readings around other topics, I'm not that, um, how do I say, 
I'm not that encouraged by it. So if we take spermidine, for example, that so the molecule that we're talking about at the start, there's not that much spermidine in meat compared to fruits and vegetables and other things. And we know from these long-term trials that high levels of spermidine in the diet is associated with a decreased risk of death. So, so, so that's spermidine. If we, if we do it for fiber as well, it's exactly the same thing. So um, a lot of people who, are, who really follow keto to the letter and they say you don't need to worry about fiber, if you have a look at the trials and the data, it's quite clear that you do want to be having fiber in your diet. The gut bacteria, the more and more that we learn about it, the more it's important, well, more that we realize how important it is for our health. So we need to be feeding our gut bacteria with fiber. Mm. It's the same with fruit and vegetables. So I just recently did one about fruit because there's quite a bit of controversy with fructose and yeah. you know the sugar content and whatnot. Again, having a look at the long-term data, so long as the fruit's eaten um, not in excess and you, and you have a look at actual whole fruits, I'm not talking about fruit drinks or pure fructose, um, there is some good data to show that fruit is good for our health. Mm. So yeah, if, if, so overall, spermidine, fiber, fruit and vegetables, we've got good data around that. And with the carnivore diet, you're essentially cutting out a lot of that. So again, while I haven't directly looked at the carnivore diet, I'm not overall encouraged by the other things that I've read. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you could theorize that the elimination of the fiber, the polyphenols, and all of the things that we know are associated with longevity, it would make sense that with a, with a diet that's constantly stimulating mTOR, constantly, we're going to run into, we're going to, we are going to build muscle. We are definitely going to, you know, improve muscle mass, drop body fat. But at the same time, we just don't have enough research to really comment on, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're absolutely right. We, we don't have long-term data about what's going to happen to the body in 20 years time if you follow a strict carnivore diet. All we've got at the moment is observational data. And that's one of the, so just for your listeners, observational data is just where you take a point in time and you say, okay, what's happened in the previous 10 years? Um, and you try and build a picture from that. So we don't have good data looking at, yeah, carnivore diets or keto diets in the long term. So mm. all we've got, all we can really do is extrapolate and theorize. And that's why online, there's so many different theories out there because we you, you can skew the research into, you know, backing up the conclusion that you want it to back up. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something that we have to be very mindful of when we are interpreting the data is saying, okay, what is the data actually showing us yeah. and, and, and building up from there and, and accepting that we don't have all the answers because the research, it isn't quite there. All we can do is build up theories based on the research that we've currently got, even though it's not 100% ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well explained. I'd like to I'd like to delve into sucrose a little bit more. I know you just mentioned um, that it can have deleterious effects on health, um, and let's sort of discuss sucrose in the context of artificial sweeteners. So, like, I don't know if you've done any research on sucralose or these other sweeteners. Like, what's your stance on sweeteners? Yeah, so I, I did a video end of last year that compared. Um, Coke Zero to just normal full sugar Coke, hmm. and there was there was a lot of hope that having these um, having these soft drinks that had artificial sweeteners in them, since they don't have the calories, the hope was that we'd be losing all of this weight and you know heart disease. There'd be a massive improvement. Unfortunately, that hasn't really borne out. And what seems to be happening is that our gut bacteria they get involved with the artificial sweeteners. They start digesting them, but they realize that they're not getting any benefit from that digestion. So your gut bacteria are using up their energy, digesting something that they're not going to get any reward from. Mm. So your gut bacteria, if you like, signal to your body that they need to be having more food because that these gut bacteria have now used up their energy stores. They need food now, otherwise they're going to starve. So... It, it seems that you increase your calorie intake if you have, you know, artificial sweeteners. So, mm. yeah, it, it, it's it's unfortunate because it, it would have been fantastic if, if if we could just switch over to these artificial sweeteners and we'd be getting all of these benefits. But it just doesn't seem yeah. to be the case. Mm. So, yeah, that's yeah, that's where I stand with that. Unfortunately, 
<laughs> yeah, it's a shame. They um they add a lot of these sweeteners like sucralose, things like that to protein powders and, and so many supplements. To, it's a shame. Honestly, I whenever I order like protein powder, I always order unflavored and then I'll add honey or just something else that's going to improve the actual taste. Um, yeah, yeah so, I'm, I'm exactly the same with protein powder. Um, one, one of the things actually that we could potentially talk about with protein powder yeah. um, is what protein powder ideally would be best. So if, yeah. if we talk about sort of plant versus animal protein as to start off with, mm. um, there, there's a, a so protein is made up of amino acids. And so we've already mentioned one of them, which is leucine. So that's one of the powerful activators of mTOR. But there's another um, amino acid called methionine. And methionine, that seems to be involved in aging pathways as well. So it seems that the higher diets with methionine seem to accelerate aging. So I, I didn't mention this when we were talking about meat, but meat has got, mm. or, or animal products have got quite high levels of methionine in them. So plant proteins, on the other hand, they've got a much lower level of methionine compared to, you know, if, if you took 100 grams of you know, animals and 100 grams of plants in terms of the protein, there's a lot lower um, methionine levels in plants. So I, for, for my protein powder, I get pea protein um, because, again, it's got those lower levels of methionine in it. And my overall levels that I'm looking for in terms of my protein intake for the day, so I weigh, you know, roughly 83 kilograms. So I'm looking at around one and a half grams per kg. So I'm yep. looking at around 120-ish, yep. um, uh, 120 grams of protein every day. And I'm trying to space that out in four or five separate protein meals mm. because, again, I'm trying to activate mTOR, but not too much. Mm. And I'm, I'm making sure that when I'm fasting, I'm definitely not having any protein because I want to make sure that I'm not activating mTOR. Instead, I want to be activating AMPK. Yeah, yeah, yep. makes sense. So let's let's sort of talk about, um, seeing as though we're on the topic of animal sources of protein, um, one particular animal source of protein that I really enjoy and I'm sure you probably enjoy as well is salmon, like mm. wild-caught salmon. Um, so let's talk about one key constituent found within salmon called astaxanthin. Let's explore some of the benefits of astaxanthin. So astaxanthin seems to be quite a powerful antioxidant. Now, as we mentioned at the beginning of the video, there used to be a lot of hype around antioxidants because mm. it was thought that if we've got all of these oxidants running around our body creating damage, if we can neutralize them with antioxidants, happy days. But that theory, unfortunately, it didn't seem to pan out. And what seems to be happening is that when we've got direct antioxidants, it doesn't seem to work. So direct antioxidants are meaning antioxidants that we take in and then we'll directly react with the oxidants and neutralize them. That doesn't seem to work. What we do have is systems within our own body, our own pathways that can neutralize oxidants. So if we activate those pathways, those pathways will look after the oxidants for us. So we're indirectly getting rid of these oxidants. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, with just, just on that, if vitamin C itself is an antioxidant, yeah. but it also activates, I mean, it supports glutathione production, right? Yeah. So it's doing both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the key pathways, it seems, is NRF2. So mm. if your listeners have um, heard about Dr. Rhonda Patrick, <clears throat> yeah. for example, she, she talks about this a lot. So by activating um, NRF2, we're activating a whole battery of cell cascades and pathways that themselves get rid of these oxidants. This theory kind of came about because when people were looking at... Um, what foods decrease heart disease? It seemed to be vegetables, specifically cruciferous vegetables. And in cruciferous vegetables, you've got glucoraphanin and myrosinase. Mm. And when those two compounds are mixed together in the gut, they form sulforaphane. Sulforaphane is a really potent activator of NRF2. Astaxanthin is also a powerful activator of NRF2. Mm. So it, it certainly does have the, a role to play. But then you do have to ask yourself, well, do I need multiple molecules to be activating the same pathway? Hmm. That's a question that we don't yet have the answers to. Hmm. So, for example, I, I take a supplement 
Um, so it's glucarafin and myrosinase that, again, together form sulforaphane. Because when we have a look at what the most potent activator of NRF2 is, it's sulforaphane. Mm. It's not astaxanthin. So again, astaxanthin, it's a great activator, but it's not as good as sulforaphane. So I take a supplement in the morning to boost my sulforaphane levels and boost my NRF2 pathways. Mm. Um, But again, we we don't yet know, do we need multiple molecules to be activating the same pathway? Will we get additive benefits? Or if we're already activating that pathway, do we need to do anything more? Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to I'd like to chime in and share my experience with astaxanthin personally. I um I used to play professional soccer and um, I was actually I was taking four milligrams of astaxanthin every morning for I think about a year or so. Um, and the biggest benefit that I noticed from supplementation was um, my endurance. Like I just had better running endurance and I had better felt like I could catch my breath quicker. Um, whether or not it's, you know, combating oxidative stress from the training or um, it makes sense though, like salmon, they're able to swim upstream. Yeah? So like is astaxanthin the culprit there? <laughs> yeah, it could very well be. It's actually interesting that you that you mentioned that because it seems that when we exercise, there's a lot of oxidative damage. But that oxidative damage, it actually seems to be good for our cells in, sh- in small doses because it stimulates our cells to become more efficient. So our mitochondria need to be more efficient to deal with that stress. So that initial oxidative stress or damage, so long as we're um, responding to it in the correct ways, can actually be good for us. But mm. we don't want to do too much. Mm. So that's where potentially astaxanthin was making sure that you were getting that balance correct. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about... Um... I know in one of your videos, you, you broke down the difference between berberine or like berberine versus metformin. So I personally have used both. Uh, I'm currently using both on and off, like I'm cycling between them. Let's talk about what you what you discussed in that video, like the benefits, the pros and cons. Yeah, yeah. So again, we're, we're trying to focus in on a lot of different pathways with anti-aging. So we've already mentioned a few and we've briefly mentioned AMPK. So... With when we activate mTOR, we inhibit or we stop AMPK. So, so, so these two are in balance. So, we, so, so I think that's the first point. We want to make sure that if we're activating one, we're not activating the other because then they cancel each other out essentially. So, with AMPK, if we activate that, that activates autophagy and it's been associated with longevity. So we do want to be activating AMPK, but again, we want to be activating it in the correct way. Mm. So both metformin, which is a diabetic medication, and berberine, they are potent activators of AMPK. So, and again, coming back to the balance, when, um, so there's been studies showing that if people start exercising and they're taking metformin, it stops the exercise benefits. Again, because with exercise, you're activating mTOR, but if you're taking metformin and you're activating AMPK, you're cancelling each other out. So these people on metformin who were exercising, they weren't getting the exercise benefits compared to the people that weren't on metformin. Mm. So again, it's that balance. In terms of which one is best to activate AMPK, there's been no head-to-head trials looking at which one is best in terms of yeah longevity. So Um, we don't yet know which one is best. At the moment, metformin has got a lot more data around it because it's a medication that's frequently prescribed for type 2 diabetics. So, you know, a a day wouldn't go by that I'm not prescribing metformin to one of my patients Um, just because, you know, type 2 diabetes is becoming so prevalent. So at at the moment, given the lack of head-to-head trials and because we've got more data on metformin, I've personally elected to take metformin and I make sure to take it only on my rest days. Yep. I don't want to take it when I'm exercising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was just finishing a podcast yesterday with Joel Green um, and I was explaining to him that exact protocol that I'll tap into metformin on the days that I don't train. It just doesn't make sense to be using something that's a fasting mimetic on the days that we you know, don't train. So yeah. it's funny though, you said both berberine and metformin activate AMPK. It's funny, it's funny when you look at that because 
a lot of other polyphenols also stimulate AMPK. Like it seems that a lot of compounds seem to stimulate this pathway in the body. Um, yeah. Yeah. But in terms of how, how that's useful in terms of designing, you know, exercise and diet and supplement regimes, is, is which, because there, there's so many different molecules that we can choose from. Mm. So I'm quite selective and, and purposeful in how I choose my supplements. So that's why I, since I'm taking metformin on my rest days, I don't want to be taking berberine because I just, I don't really want to be spending the money. I, I don't, I don't see the point. But on the point of metformin, one of the criticisms of that is particularly in the United States is metformin. It's an extended release version. So the half-life of that is 72 hours. Wow. So if if you exercise on one day and you don't take your metformin, the next day is a rest day and you take metformin, that metformin is going to be in you the, the next time that you exercise. Wow. So that's something to consider. So the metformin, luckily in New Zealand, it's just the instant release version. So that that it only lasts in your system 24 hours. So I know that when I exercise in the morning, um, all of the metformin is going to be out of my system and I can activate mTOR. So that's something as well to just to keep in mind. That's a good point. Well, uh, my dad's a pharmacist. I'll have the time to bring home the uh, the immediate release metformin instead. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, just going up on that topic, if metformin is the sustained release, is that is it just based on the um, enteric? Uh, the, so it's just based on that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just based on that because um, in in a few trials for diabetics. So so these are. Metformin was originally used to help the insulin sensitivity. So as in with type 2 diabetics, generally they've got enough insulin, but their cells don't respond to the insulin in the way that we are hoping. Metformin, through activating AMPK and other pathways, it helps with that insulin sensitivity. So with type 2 diabetics, it makes sense to have the extended release version because you want that metformin in their bodies as long as possible to help with that insulin sensitivity. But for what we're talking about, which is metformin in otherwise healthy people that don't have diabetes, it's the short-acting version that we want. Because again, yeah. we want all of it out of our system by the time that we exercise. Yeah, makes sense. You, you just mentioned um, how in, uh, at the point where the diabetes gets out of control, we prescribe insulin. Um, it, I've always just been confused by... <laughs> Like what's happening there? We know insulin's pro-aging, right? So is that like what's your stance there? Yeah, yeah, it, it's you're you're absolutely correct. With high levels of insulin, that accelerates aging. The trouble is, if you're a type two diabetic and you've got really high levels of sugar or glucose in your in your bloodstream, that causes a huge amount of inflammation to your blood vessels and it damages them. So I used to be an orthopedic registrar, uh, registrar so working in bones. And I was working in a hospital that um, worked in an area that unfortunately had a lot of type 2 diabetics in it. It was a fairly impoverished area. Mm. And the amount of times that we would turn up and these people had infections within their lower limbs that they couldn't fight because the blood supply to their lower limbs was terrible because of their diabetes. You're left with no choice, but you have to amputate their legs. Mm. So there's many operations that I've helped with where you're unfortunately amputating legs because the because the blood vessels are so damaged because of these high levels of sugar. Mm. So you need the insulin to decrease. So it, it's the lesser of two evils, essentially. Yeah. 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 But on, on that point, there's some really exciting uh, medications that are coming through for type 2 diabetes. So one of them is SGLT2 inhibitors. Yep. These look to be the goods. So, yeah, should we chat about that for a yeah, minute? Of course, of course, of yeah. course. Um, essentially, they're a molecule that work in the kidneys to make the kidneys pee out glucose or pee out sugar. And by doing that, you get weight loss, you help with your blood sugar control, and you get quite outstanding results in terms of heart disease and kidney disease. So, and, and these drugs are becoming more and more prevalent. So, there, there are a few risks with taking these drugs, specifically since you're peeing out more sugar, you're at increased risk of urine infections, oh. specifically bad urine infections. So, so it's, very, it's a very rare complication, but that is something that we need to keep in mind when prescribing these medications. 
It's going to be interesting. So right now, coming back to metformin, there's a big trial going on giving metformin to healthy people to see what that does to their longevity. Wow. So so metformin's a, 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 it's a really promising drug in terms of the anti-aging space. It's It will be quite interesting to see whether SGLT2 inhibitors go the same way because mm-hmm. of the results that we're seeing on heart disease and kidney disease. So I'm quite excited about those. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, got a question around metformin. Um, I've always wanted to know, I've sort of seen, maybe I've seen one study that looks at um, if somebody takes metformin for a month and then a washout period, do they maintain insulin sensitivity following exposure or does it eventually, does it rebound and get worse or what do you think would happen there? Uh, are we talking about type 2 diabetics or, or people that don't have diabetes? I will look at the type 2 diabetics first. Yeah. Uh, it, so it, it rebounds, unfortunately. Really? Yeah. So with type 2 diabetics, diet and exercise is huge. Mm. You, can, you can fix diabetes with diet and exercise. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, but for, for people that can't quite get on top of their diabetes with their, with their diet, you know, because of X, Y, and Z reason, um, metformin is there to help. And if you stop taking, so, so you'll decrease your blood sugar levels with metformin because, again, your cells are becoming more sensitive to insulin. But if you stop taking the metformin, unfortunately, it's not a lasting effect. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And in healthy adults, is there any research on if they take it and then abruptly stop, is it going to affect? Everything right now is theoretical. Hmm. So we've got good data in worms and good data in mice that having metformin, it will extend life. But that's in worms and mice. That's why this big trial going on right now with metformin in healthy people is so huge because we'll actually have some answers. So, yeah, figuring out if we need to have washout periods with berberine or metformin, it's all speculation because we haven't 100% proven that metformin will extend our life. We think it will because we've got good data from, um, yeah, worms and mice. And actually, there is some data in humans that... Um, type 2 diabetics who are only on metformin, when you compare it to people that don't have diabetes, the people with diabetes on metformin have got the same rates of cardiovascular disease. If anything, it's slightly less, which is the complete opposite of what you would expect because you would have thought that with um, diabetes, you'd be having increased rates of cardiovascular disease compared to people that don't. So the fact that it's level, and if anything, with the diabetics on metformin, it's slightly better, that's a really powerful indicator that we are going to see some positive results with metformin. Yeah. Mm, interesting. I'd love to, you just touched on um, the SGLT2 um, inhibitors. Uh, are these only once a week injections or are there oral versions or what, what do we have access to at the moment? Yeah. So um, I think you're thinking about a different class of medication. So so with the SGLT2 inhibitors, they're, they're a pill that you take every day. Okay. The one that I think you might be talking about, it's also a diabetic medication. It's called GLP-1 oh, yeah. receptor agonist. Yeah. So with that one, um, that's there, there are longer half-life versions of it where you inject once a week. So mm-hmm. those look to be really, really powerful as well. Again, it's the same benefits with um, you know heart disease and uh, kidney disease um, with these medications. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, we're in a really exciting time for diabetes and actually for health in general, because there's so much positive data coming through. And that's why, again, I started my channel to get the word out there because yeah. so yeah, so much is lost, but if you focus in on the five or 10% that have actually got really good data around it, it's, it's difficult not to get excited. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So what about, um, just, want to touch on dark chocolate we haven't really i don't know if you've done a video talking about cacao or dark chocolate do you want to explore some of the benefits of what you've seen in the research yeah unfortunately i anything that i say would be speculation because i haven't looked into the data yet i'm really sorry um yeah i I certainly don't want to try and bs my way through an answer so yeah i will do a video on it in the future but i haven't looked in specifically into the research around that yeah no worries awesome um another question around future research um just curious to know like what areas really excite you yeah yeah i think that, so we've already mentioned the metformin trial yep um i i do wonder whether the sglt2 inhibitors will go the same way 
Mm. A big trial has come out around the GLP-1 receptor agonists in terms of weight loss. So this one I'm really excited about because we've got some initial data to show. So generally, weight loss, it's it's extremely difficult to do. So there's a lot of trials showing that you'll get amazing results on virtually any diet over three months. But when you extend that out to a year or two, most people put it back on. And if anything, they're heavier than what they used to be. With GLP-1 receptor agonists, based on how it works, as in it makes you feel fuller because it, it, um, it, it works on specific hormones, that gives us massive, massive weight loss. And it, it, it's that, that weight loss, it's not just over three months. They hold that weight loss for a number of years. Wow. So I'm really excited around that because even just for the world, if we can shift overconsumption to those that don't have enough, that in itself is really powerful. Mm. So I'm, I'm very excited to see whether that pans out. In terms of other research, one of the big things used to be resveratrol. And that's the polyphenol as well. And that was kind of made famous by um, one of the researchers, Dr. David Sinclair, back in 2003. So he eventually sold that company and, and those patents. Um, it was something like $720 million. Jeez. Um, to a big drug company, and it, there was a lot of hype that this medication, or that this polyphenol was going to be fantastic for heart disease and longevity. That's there haven't been many convincing trials yet showing that. So it, it, there's some convincing data from mice. There's not long-term data um, in humans. So I'm still excited by its potential. Um, but I'm not as excited as what I used to be when I first started looking into this. Mm. Um, so, so resveratrol is one of them. There's more and more data coming out around hyaluronic acid. So hyaluronic acid, you know, helps build up our um, our cartilage and whatnot. And, and it seems if we supplement it, <clears throat> it seems to be really good for our blood vessel health as well. Mm. So again, it's it's tantalizing bits of data that we've got so far. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the longer term um, as to whether that actually pans out. In terms of other things, autophagy is huge. So we've talked a lot about autophagy today and about how we can activate it. It's going to be interesting to see how we should be best activating it and which molecules we should be using. Because mm. right now it's a little bit of a scattergun approach. We've mentioned fisetin and quercetin. Um, we've mentioned spermidine. We've mentioned fasting. Which, <clears throat> which one should we be using and how often and in what doses? I'm really excited about autophagy. I think that's going to be huge. So again, from Dr. David Sinclair's lab, just, uh, I think it was published end of last year as well. They injected some specific transcription factors, I think it was, into aging eyes. So this was in mice. They reversed eye aging in these mice, wow. which is huge. So that will be very interesting to see whether that translates into humans. So if that works, that means, you know, say if you reach 40, and you want to have the eyes again of a 20-year-old, you go in, you have a simple injection, and you'll have the eyes of a 20-year-old again. Yeah. So that's that's really, really cool. Mm. Um, and I'm also very excited to see what happens with diet um, research. So what's going to happen with the keto diet? <laughs> it, it, should we all be following the keto diet? Should we be in ketosis? Or should we just be focusing on getting most of our calories from fats and proteins? Um, and not necessarily worrying if we're in ketosis or not. But maybe we should be. There is some tantalizing data um, out of New Zealand, actually. There was a massive tumor that one patient had that was inoperable. So it was a thymic tumor. And through going on to the keto diet and through fasting, so there was no chemotherapy involved. It was just through fasting and the keto diet. This tumor shrunk back down to a point where surgeons could operate on it and remove it. And now she's cancer-free. So should we all be on the keto diet and, and strictly following the keto diet? It will be interesting to see what the research actually shows. So I'm very excited about that as well. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, what about any microbiome gut, gut health-related yeah. research at all? Yeah, that's going to be huge. So um, it's going to be interesting to see if there's particular strands of bacteria that we should be trying to promote their growth. Mm. or whether we should just be boosting the fiber content in our diet. So, for example, I take psyllium husk. So I mix that into my um, into my smoothies, <clears> um, into my drinks, 
again, is to make sure that my gut bacteria have got all of the, the food, if you like, um, uh, for their health. So that's going to be very interesting to follow um, as to yeah what how best we should be influencing our gut bacteria. Mm. Um, because already we've got some good data to show that if we do it in the right way, as in if we feed it with the correct stuff, so not... Um, not artificial sweeteners, but actually, you know, proper insoluble or soluble fiber. That seems really good for us as well. So, yeah, yeah. very excited. Yeah, all, all of that stuff excites me just as much as you. Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that research. So, Brad, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And yeah, I hope that your viewers found it useful as well. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. So, for those listening in, where can they find more of your work, Brad, if they want to like, you know, get in touch or connect with you or see your, yeah. your channels, where can they find you? Yeah. So uh, honestly, I'll just type into, um, into YouTube, Dr. Brad Stanfield and my channel will pop up. Um, you know, I'm still early days. Um, so as, as I mentioned before, you know, I'm still a full-time doctor. I've got a new, um, child. Um, so I, I try and run this channel as best as I can. I'm currently producing about one to two videos a week. So I haven't had the time yet to produce a website that's on the cards one day. Um, but yeah, if they want to get in touch, just type Dr. Brad Stanford into YouTube and I'll pop up. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to link those in the, um, in the show notes for those listening in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks again for coming on the show, Brad. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thanks again. Thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 